Scripture reading this morning continues a new series we started last Sunday morning in Matthew's Gospel. And so if you would turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 1 at verse 18, and we'll read through to verse 25, that final section of the opening chapter of Matthew chapter 1. For those watching at home or elsewhere on our live stream broadcast, when we pause for prayer here, please feel free to do so at home. When we open up the Scriptures, do likewise at home as well. It will be beneficial to you if you have the Scriptures open in front of you and follow our study this morning. So let me begin at Matthew chapter 1 at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Over the next few weeks, as we all too quickly move towards Christmas, we will have busy days. One event to attend after another, planning and preparing for Christmas Day and Christmas dinner. What gifts have we bought? What gifts have we still to buy? Have we decorated the house and the tree? And have we sent out all the Christmas cards we should have? And at this time of year, our list goes on and on and on. But one of the things I love to do after a full and busy day at this time of year is around nine o'clock at night, settle down and watch some programs I have recorded. And some of my favorites appear on National Geographic or PBS. And I'm a huge fan of natural history programs. And the ones I really like, in fact, last night I did a bit of forward planning and I've recorded two of three of them. And they are coming from Yellowstone or Yosemite and they're focused on grizzly bears. And the reason I'm attracted to grizzly bears is this, that I think grizzlies have a pretty good life. Grizzly males grump all day long, they eat as much as they like, and they sleep for six months. That, to me, is a pretty good life, and so I'm fascinated by grizzly bears. And whenever the documentaries follow them, you will often see the cubs learning to walk. 
and they follow the parent in front of them. And the parent puts those very heavy paws one after the other in what is described as those trusted places, deep worn places, proven pathways. And cubs will follow at their back, and especially in those early days, simply putting their little paws where their parents' paws have been. Now, having painted that picture for you, hold it in your mind, and then come back with me to last Sunday, to the beginning of Matthew, and then I'll try and make a connection between both pictures. I mentioned to you last Sunday morning that when Matthew begins his gospel, he begins in a rather strange way with a list of people. People whom, at least for us, we are tempted to think as seemingly insignificant and instantly forgettable. They lived a long time ago in a country far, far away. And it begins, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and it goes on and on and on and on. And last Sunday morning, we went to great lengths to ask ourselves, why on earth would Matthew begin his gospel in this fashion? There is almost nothing attractive about one list of names after another, after another, after another. But what we did discover last Sunday morning is this, that by listing generation after generation over a protracted period, what we discovered is this, that Matthew was saying during that period, God was faithfully at work one family after the other, one individual after the other, one generation after the other. And God never works in a historical, cultural, or theological vacuum. He works in the lives of real people, in real families, facing real difficulties. And He is faithful generation after generation. And what Matthew was teaching back then in the first century, but also to us in the 21st century, is this, that God has not only been faithful to one generation after another, but in giving us his word, what is he doing? He's teaching us to walk in the footprints of those who have faithfully gone before us those tried and tested footprints of prayer and trust and dependency, of worship and growing and evolving and maturing in our faith day by day as we seek to follow him. That's what Matthew was telling us last week. And those lessons of faithfulness continue through to the end of chapter 1 as we come to Joseph. Now, I have a soft spot for Joseph, I have to tell you. And he's one of those biblical characters that really impress me. Because Joseph is about to discover what previous generations learned. And Joseph is about to discover that you can absolutely trust in the invincibility and the invisibility of God's grace. Now, Joseph doesn't know it yet. But that's exactly what he's about to discover as we go through this passage. 
And when we think of Joseph, we tend to think of Joseph not playing a central, fundamental role in the unfolding Christmas story. We don't. When we think of Joseph and we think of a nativity scene, of course, Mary is right there in the front of any nativity we see. Sometimes the baby Jesus is lying in a crash. Sometimes he's been held by Mary. Sometimes off to the right, you will have the shepherds and some sheep. And over to the left, you may have the three wise men along with camels and donkeys. And it's a wonderful looking scene. You have angels up above. And Joseph is standing in the background. He is portrayed as someone who's just there. He's watching. He's an observer. He's no active part to play. And yet, if you read Matthew's gospel, he's mentioned more times than Mary is mentioned. He's mentioned more times than the innkeeper, more times than Herod, more times than almost any other figure. Joseph does, in fact, play a central part in the Christmas infancy narrative. And he plays an important part. And we're about to see exactly what happens. Joseph, as we know, and look at the passage, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now think of that. Here is Mary and Joseph pledged to be married. In the first century in the Near East, that was a binding contract that was not easy to get out of. And Joseph had fallen in love. Somehow, I am tempted to think that the popular misconception of Joseph is that he was so much older than Mary. When you see him on Christmas cards or you see him in art galleries and portraits holding the Christ child, he's often portrayed as an older man with gray hair and a long, straggy beard. But the scripture doesn't tell us that. That tends to be a popular misconception, I think. But let me at least step in that direction and suggest that Joseph may have been married a little later than most grooms. Let's imagine he's in his early 30s. Mary, what do you think? Early 20s, mid-20s, something like that. Again, her age is not told to us. They meet, a friendship develops, and they fall in love. And like every other young man in all of history, both Old Testament, New Testament, and sins. When a young man falls in love, what does he do? He immediately thinks of his fiancée, and he thinks of her smile, and the color of her eyes, and the smell of her hair, and he can't wait to the next time he sees her, and he plans what they're going to do with the months and years ahead, and he's utterly infatuated by Mary. And then Mary quietly takes him off into a corner and says, Joseph, we need to talk. I'm expecting a baby. How do you imagine that conversation went? That's a tough conversation to have with anyone under any circumstances. And Joseph says, excuse me. Just 
tell me that again. And Mary says, the Holy Spirit has come upon me. I'm going to give birth to a child. And he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And I suspect Joseph looked at Mary and said, Okay, just tell me that again. And as it begins to sink in and Joseph begins to understand what he's hearing, I suspect Joseph would have been angry. I think he would have felt betrayed. I think he would have felt that he'd been used in some way. And Mary, how could you do this? After all that you mean to me, after all that we have talked about, our future was laid out in front of us, and now all of this happens. And Mary, come on, God did this? Really? Can you imagine the anger bubbling up inside him as Joseph tries to process this and come to terms with what's happening? And he's thinking, how could this possibly be happening to me? And the scripture is clear. He was a righteous man. All of his plans and hopes and dreams lay before him. And then suddenly out of nowhere, all this change. And over the next couple of days, as Joseph tried to process it and try to get his head around it, eventually he comes to the conclusion that perhaps we can go for a quiet settlement, a divorce. I don't want to embarrass Mary or draw attention. Can you imagine that conversation with his parents when he goes home that night and says, Mary and I are breaking up? And they say, well, I'm sorry to hear that. What happened? And he begins to explain. And then a few days later, the scripture is clear. Notice what it says. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And change rang out again for Joseph. Joseph, who had initially rejected all that Mary had said, wanted no part in it, was ready to go for a quiet divorce. Suddenly, that change, that unexpected, earth-shattering change, Joseph now learns to embrace and welcome because God was at the center of it all. And the following morning, Joseph wakes up and he wakes up a different man. Why? Because in those opening words, the angel says to him, Joseph, son of David. Why? One would imagine that when you encounter an angel, economy of language is important. So why not simply say, Joseph, what Mary has in her womb is from the Holy Spirit. Why does he say, Joseph, son of David? Why add that? 
Because the angel is saying, Joseph, son of David, David, like so many others who had walked those well-worn paths, those trusted places, son of David, God was faithful back then. He will be faithful to you today and in all the days to come. Now think of that. Joseph was a contractor. In the original Greek, it said the word is tecton. He was technically capable and gifted at working with stone and timber. He was a contractor. He could take a two by four. He could cut it straight, measure twice, cut once. He knew the difference between a tenon joint and a dovetail joint. He could plane a piece of timber. He knew how to finish it, sanding it to a complete finish. But now the supernatural had broken into his life. He was face to face with the living God and his unfolding plans of the redemption of humanity. Can you imagine Joseph thinking, why on earth would God allow this to happen to me? And why now? And Joseph, I think, realized pretty quickly what was happening that Mary would present him with a son and he would take in his arms the Savior of the world. And he had to model manhood and fatherhood for this wee baby. And God was at the center of it all. How could it be? And yet Joseph came to understand and realize but as his mind expanded, his heart exploded, the faithfulness of God was taking place once again. And sometimes God's greatest gifts turn up in the most unlikely packages, in the most surprising places. And that was Joseph's experience. And Joseph would, as Mary would, walk in those trusted places, learn as they walked, drawing closer to God in the process. And Joseph understood that there were moments, moments of unadulterated adoration and devotion when his heart and mind and soul was exploding heavenward. And the only thing he could do was pick up the Son of God and put him in his lap and understand that here is Emmanuel, God with us. I don't think Joseph should ever be relegated to the background. I think he should be in the foreground. I think he's a remarkable hero, a remarkable man, a spectacular individual. And you may be saying this morning, okay, Richard, I agree. I didn't quite ever see Joseph in this way, but thanks for that. I've come to a new appreciation of him. But Richard, my question this morning is often the same as it is on any other Sunday. 
All this seems so long ago in a country far, far away. How does it apply to me this week in my situation in the 21st century? How do I take from Matthew's gospel the lessons you've highlighted and apply it to my life this week? Well, let me give you three thoughts to go home with. Number one, God never calls us to be an observer to stand in the background. He calls us to trust Him as we walk in well-worn places on solid ground, trusted pathways. Secondly, there are times when God hides His greatest gifts in ordinary packages in unexpected places. And let me add this. Sometimes, his greatest gifts come in moments of darkness. That was the case for Joseph. It's been the case for so many of us. And that may describe you this morning going through difficult, confusing days. You don't know what's going on. You can't get your arms around it. And you wonder, what on earth is God doing? Trust Him. Not only does he have it, more importantly, he has you as well. And finally, he calls us to trust him as we hesitantly open his gifts, as I mentioned moments ago, in the darkness. He then equips us and strengthens us to remain in the deep, well-worn places of his love. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, generation after generation after generation has walked those well-worn paths. Joseph, how can this be happening? And God faithfully walks alongside Joseph as Joseph raises the Savior of the world. Faithful then, and faithful now. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. And we thank you that Sunday by Sunday, as we gather in your presence, you speak into our lives. Father, for those of us who are struggling this morning, confused, uncertain, hesitant, we find ourselves in that dark place we ask, O oh God, for your hand upon us. Encourage us, uplift us, strengthen us. Enable us to trust you in the days when we are uncertain or fearful. Father, finally, help us in these weeks of Advent to slow down, to pause, to spend time with you. Equip us, refresh us, Renew us and enable us, please, to discern you walking alongside us as you lead us on solid ground, well-worn places, places of your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.